0: All right, so we are journeying through the book of Romans, and we started last week, we do a book study every year, um, and this year we are going to study through the book of Romans. Incredible book, 16 chapters. Um, Last week was more of an introduction, Um, and so we looked at the Apostle Paul, who's the author of this letter. Again, so it wasn't a book, it was a letter, Um, and Paul had never been to Rome, really wanted to go to Rome. And so the church was beginning to form in Rome. And this was around AD 60 or so. So right after Jesus is resurrected, um, these little house churches began to form. And so the, the church was growing and Paul heard about it. And so he wrote a letter um, to the church. They were meeting in homes and houses in Rome. And and so last week we really looked at Paul and 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 just got to really know him and his disposition and kind of the... Um, the posture that he was writing this letter from. And so today we're gonna get a little bit deeper into what I believe is the thesis statement of the whole letter. I think the best books, right, that are written, the best authors, they go ahead and put the main point up front. Like I don't like to read like 40,000 words, you know what I'm saying, to get to the one sentence that the whole book was written about kind of thing. Anybody else? Like, let's just, just go ahead and put it up front and let's, 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 get, let's get with it. And, and so that's what Paul does. He puts the thesis statement in the, in the introduction of the book. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. The rest of this whole letter unpacks those two verses. 16 chapters on these two verses. So I'm gonna, I wanna, that's where we left off last week. So let's read it together this week. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Somebody say, believe. Everybody who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. Somebody say, faith. From first to last. Just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right, so let's talk about that for just a few minutes. The, the, the letter that Paul is writing to this church that is starting to establish in Rome, there's a few things in this letter that really come to the, to the surface uh, in my mind. Two words particularly that we hear a lot in church and we just read them both. The first word is believe. Believe, it's probably etched on gra- and a pillow at grandma's house, right? Or on a, on a you know, plaque, believe. Like, you know, the, it, it, he uses that word over 20 times in his letter. Almost every chapter, he uses the word believe. The other word that is really, really important that he uses over 30 times in this letter, um, really drills down into it, is the word faith. Believe in faith. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I didn't know what, e- you know, I thought they were the same thing. You know, belief and faith, belief and faith. So he's saying, you know, Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to everyone who believes. So how do we access the power of God? How do we access this, the, the, what he's calling the gospel? He says, well, the first step is to believe. And believe, the best way that I could, could find it defined is just agreement. Agreement. I believe it's true. I believe that the gospel is true. I believe that a man named Jesus lived a couple thousand years ago, lived to about the age of 33, he was crucified, he went into a tomb and three days later he resurrected. I believe that. A lot of the world believes that. Like most of our United States believes that. And so that's where we get this power, the gospel, the the very first step into this thing is we gotta believe that it's true. In our heart of hearts, it's it's back to a worldview. Right? It's back to, do I believe that this really happened in time and space, that Jesus came from heaven, God in the flesh, walked around, healed people, that's the gospels, and then they crucified him and he got out of the grave. I believe that. But then he talks about faith. He says that this righteousness is revealed and, and, and the way that it's available to us is by faith from first to last. And so if agreement is belief, I think faith is acting on that agreement. Because I can believe a lot of things, but it doesn't mean I'm gonna put my faith in it. I personally don't like flying right now. I believe it's safe, but I would rather not put my faith sometimes in the hands of a pilot and get on the plane, right? That's different. There's a difference between belief and faith. You're putting something on the line here. You're trusting your life to it. You're, you're trusting the direction of where you're heading to, you know, it's, 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 you're bought in. There's action attached to the belief. Why is this so important? Paul talks about this through the rest of his letter because I, I think what he means by this is that it's my belief that drives my behavior. Why do you live and act the way that you live and act? As a human being, why do I live and act the way that I live and act? What do I believe to be right and wrong about the world? My belief drives my behavior. If I don't think it's wrong to take someone's life, I'll do it. My belief drives my behavior. If I don't think it's wrong to give somebody the, out the window when they, you know, cut me off in traffic, uh, you know, I, whatever. You know. So, did you see what I'm saying here though? My belief in my life drives the way that I behave. It's where I get right and wrong. And, and so it's this inside out thing. And so Paul has to address this right out of the gate. The way that we live our life, it's, 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 it's my belief that's really dictating my behavior. It's the things that I believe to be true about myself, about the world, about other people, and about God. And so right out of the gate, he's, he's addressing this behavior. He's by saying your, your belief system may be wrong and then Romans 1 from 16 to Romans 2, and we're not gonna read all of it. I want you to think for, for a moment of the movie, Lincoln Lawyer. Now, have anybody seen that movie? Okay, half the room, all right. Well, Matthew McConaughey is a, a trial attorney and I want you to think, so he's getting out of his 1986, his Lincoln, and he's walking into the courthouse. I want you to imagine in your mind for a moment that this is the apostle Paul because for the next few minutes, as we go through this, he is stepping in as a, as a, as a prosecuting attorney. Romans, the end of Romans one, if you, if you read it last week or if you didn't, he starts just going from, he, he, the first people that he puts on trial is basically the world, he calls them Gentiles. So these are people that were not Jews. So they didn't grow up with the Torah. They didn't grow up with a view of like a Judeo-Christian view of right and wrong. These were just, this was basically the whole world. This is me and you. If you're not, a, if you're not a, a practicing Jew, the first folks that he starts to talk about is the whole world. And so imagine a courtroom, Paul being the prosecuting attorney, and then you got God in the middle, right? He's the judge. And then you've got like a jury. They kind of have seats up here. Does so anybody want to compete my jury? And so we know a little bit about Paul, but then in the middle is God, right? And so he's making this case to people. And, and the big question that we have to answer is what is God like? That's, you know, if you're a good prosecuting attorney, you know the judge. You gotta know what he or she's like. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to, you gotta know the judge well in order to present your case. And, and the best explanation I've heard about what God is like came from a, a practicing Jew. And this is kind of a Jewish custom, but they, the word that they have for it, or a saying, which is, I'm going to borrow for the, my sermon title this morning, is that God rules the world with two hands. Everybody's got two hands. Most people have two hands. He, God rules the world, the judge in the middle, rules the world with two hands. One hand is justice, and one hand is mercy. And the reality is, we want to live in a world with both, as much as we want just to be able to get off the hook when we do things wrong, we don't want that from the person that lives across the street, do we? And so we have this God, even in, in the Old Testament, he seemed like a God of justice. People got what they deserved. It was an eye for an eye. It was a tooth for a tooth. And then we read the New Testament and we hear a lot of things like, well, God is God is love. God is a God of mercy. Well, I, I'm thinking that maybe it's both like my Jewish friend thought that, that, it's, that God rules the world with two hands, one justice and one mercy. And so we got to look at the first hand and that's the justice of God. And I'm gonna just read it, this is Romans 1 verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. This is not coming in the future. He's writing this 2000 years ago. He's saying it's happening right now. The justice of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them now for a moment think with me the guy the person that's on the jewelry stand didn't grow up they didn't grow up Jewish this person didn't go to church This person didn't have a grandma that prayed for them or or a mom and dad that made them go to church. This is the person without God that's on the prosecuting stand right now. And Paul is saying they're guilty. And this is why, I'm gonna read the rest of it. For since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So what is he saying there? He's saying the person that grew up without the Bible, that wasn't raised Jewish, that has no religious background, knows there's a God because they've seen a sunset before. Has nothing to do with sanctuaries and stained glass. God's first Bible was creation, the world. Think about that. Go back 6,000 years, it's Adam and Eve. They didn't have the book of Genesis. They didn't have the book of Exodus. They didn't have the Torah. They didn't have all this. They had the world. And Paul is saying the person that's acting crazy in their life has no excuse because they've been outside. (laughs) They've seen that there's no way that this, this world came into existence by accident. Are you, are you tracking with me? There, there had to be an intel, there, a create, you know, I've heard it said like this, that you see the creator in his or her creation. A, a great artist, I went and seen the, uh, it was um, the Van Gogh experience. It was at the fairgrounds for a while. And so it was Van Gogh paintings and it was all on the wall. It was awesome. I'm, I really like Vincent Van Gogh. You get to kind of know him a little bit by just observing his art, I almost felt like I left there and I had a little bit more of a understanding of who he was. I found out that he was a preacher first, believe it or not. And so he liked to draw nature and outside and beauty. And, and so again, he, Paul is, is putting every person that's ever lived on the prosecuting stand and saying, if you've seen a sunset, if you've seen a sunrise, if you've been to the Swiss Alps, if you've walked down the sugary white sands of Pensacola Beach and seeing the blue water, you had to have known something that, that there was a, a creator behind all of this. And so he starts to build this case and, and, and he begins to go and he, he starts with, with, with creation. He says, this is why people are guilty because they, they've seen the world and they decided that they wanted to live in their own, in their own strength and, 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 and in their own wisdom. And, and so gro- growing up in science class in high school, we were taught evolution. And this is basically what we were taught. This science teacher, she was really smart, wasn't very nice, but she was very smart. She had more degrees than a thermometer. And I'll never forget, she opened up the textbook and she read right out of the book. She said, this is how it went down. It's called Big Bang, big old explosion happened. Now they're saying it was, you know, it was like 400,000 years ago, now it was a billion. How do you measure that? Somebody help me, like, like they're saying, that now they're figuring out the world is like, it's, it's super old. Anyways, but so she she, I'll never forget. She said, well, this is what happened. There was a huge bang. We don't know. There was some stuff, gas floating around in the space and there's an explosion and and that formed the universe. And then the the universe formed all these planets and then over time, earth was frozen and then it started to thaw out. And, And then from there, basically this this slime life, he came out of it and then it began to evolve and life has just been getting smarter and smarter and more evolved since. So we started with like, I guess a lizard or something and then like a monkey and then like a caveman and then consciousness just was out of evolution. Have y'all been taught that? Have you heard that before, anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, it was hard to believe. And so so we have a culture that that's pretty pretty much being taught standard now. Intelligent design, you don't hear much about that. But my problem with that, and Paul, the way that he begins to describe the evolution of man, he describes it as devolution. Evolution says man started low and is evolving high. We're getting better and better and better with science and knowledge, and, and we're just getting sharper and better. Paul says, no, you started really high in the garden, it was perfect. And man left alone devolves. You take God out of a society and you watch it unravel. The Book of Romans was written in you know, AD 60. It wasn't even 100 years after this letter was written and the greatest civilization that has existed in the history of the world began to unravel. And it started, I believe it is crazy, that I didn't know any of this until getting ready for this message. It started with, they just began to worship, weird, began to worship nature. They began to worship sexuality. They would set up temples and, and um, Nero who was the, he was the emperor at the time when this letter was being written. He, he began to, he wanted worship for himself. So they began to worship the king and worship the emperor. And, and so they just basically removed God and the law of God out of all of their civilization. And it wasn't even 200 years and it just kind of unraveled. And that's what Paul is saying here. And he goes through a list of things. He says, this is what happens when you remove God out of your, out of your worldview. When you remove the law of God out of a society, it's, it doesn't get better. It actually tends to, to devolve. And and this is where the beginning of this devolution starts. He says this in Romans 1, verse 21. He says, they knew God, general revelation. They knew God because they'd been outside and they'd seen a sunset. They'd they'd seen the beauty of, of his creation, but they didn't glorify him as God and they didn't give thanks to him. And so what began to happen was self became the center of the society. Humanism, what's good for man was law. What's good for me, if it feels good, do it. This is what we're gonna do. The Roman empire, empire began to unravel and Paul lists some of the things that began to happen. And, and, and I'm, I'm not gonna read them all, but there's a common thread in every single one. Verse 24 of Romans 1, he talks about sexuality. Verse 26, he talks about um, you know the, the, the people leaving natural affection is the way that he calls it. And then, and then in verse 28, he talks about just like envy and backbiting and people got mean and nasty and started fighting. But this was the the same phrase he uses over and over. He says this, "When, when a society began to drift, when a person begins to drift, follow other things outside of God, he says that God just gave them over. He repeats that three times, God gave them over. Basically God gave them what they wanted. And when we talk about the wrath of God, this is not a very popular subject. Clearly, right? (laughs) It's not, you know, here's a sermon on the wrath of God. Aren't you glad you came to church today? That's why we were so happy and exuberant at the beginning of the message in worship. I was like, we really got to get them happy because I'm going to bring them down hard. (laughs) uh, We think of the wrath of God. I think of God sitting up in the heaven with like like a, a dish full of lightning bolts. And when somebody does something wrong, he grabs one and pow, the judgment and the wrath of God. But the way Paul describes it's the opposite. That the wrath of God is not something that God initiates, but the wrath of God is the absence of God. And as we begin to go down a path that we really want, that we think is gonna bring us happiness and I don't really need God into my life and I'm gonna be the captain of my own soul and I'm gonna lead my own life and I really don't need wisdom or the laws of God or the Bible. Let's just take the Bible out of everything. Let's take it off the money. Let's take it out of the courthouse. Let's just get rid of it all. It's like, okay. I'm preaching now, y'all. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, I'm getting in there. Because I, I, I just, it, it's sad to see this beginning to happen even though this was written 2,000 years ago, we're watching it happen in our world. And, and, and he says when, when you take that path and you take that, when you begin to go down that, it's not that God judges or he shows up and with like lightning bolts, he just pulls away. It's this absence of God. And he just gives people what they want. If you think that's gonna make you happy, go ahead. And, 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 and like, I'm super guilty of this. I've pursued things in my life that I thought would bring fulfillment and happiness outside of God. And I found out that, you know, the grass is greener on the other side because it's over a septic tank. I needed a joke right there and, and it just came to me. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Okay, and so he's saying, you're guilty, you're guilty. Like the person that stands before God and says, well, my parents weren't in church and you don't know my upbringing. And I I grew up on a remote island with nobody and nobody helped me. It's like, it doesn't matter. Have you seen a sunset? Have you seen the beauty of creation lately? Like, I, I mean, that was my first church. I didn't really find God in stained glass windows and sanctuaries. Still have a hard time with that, but when I'm sitting out in the water or I'm in nature, I just to me it's like, man, how, how can we David said it like this that creation speaks of the Creator, that, that all the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. We can build pretty buildings and all that stuff, and that's awesome, but it has no comparison to creation. So Paul says every, every person's guilty because because they've seen God revealed in creation. And so they come off and then he puts on the Jew up there, the Jewish, the practicing Jew, or the religious person, the religious person. This is the person that was raised in church. This is the person that doesn't smoke or chew or run with those who do. You like that? This is the person that looks down their long nose every week at Sunday and can't believe that they're at church. And they're looking on their Facebook during the sermon. It's like, look, I knew I would seen them. What are they doing here? They don't live like I live. That person. You know that person, don't you? If you don't, the critic, the inner critic, right? The, the, he puts the, the, the perfect person on the, stage, on the stand and, and, and this is what he says to them. Romans 2 verse 1. You, therefore, you got no excuse either. You pass judgment on somebody else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. I've heard it said this way. When you point a finger at somebody, guess how many is pointing back at you? At least three, I think, maybe maybe four. (laughs) So he puts the Jew up there that's got his life completely put together. Been going to synagogue since they could walk, memorize the Torah, put a nail through the Torah, move it out. They could tell you the word that was missing. Memorize the first four books of the Bible. Perfect on the outside. But Paul starts to unveil that God knows what's on the inside. And he knows the stuff you wanted to do, but you didn't. Not because you're a good person, because you just... Come on. He says that there's going to come a point, and he talks about it as he goes on, that, that God's going to try even our thoughts. Every thought. Every thought. Every idle word. Not only what you did, but why you did it. That's what haunts me. That scares me a little bit. As a pastor, you know, it's like, well, he's gotta be a good person, right? He's a pastor, but have you noticed there's bad pastors that get into it for the wrong reasons? And he says, judgment starts at the house of God. It's not only what I preached, but why did I preach it? It's tough, y'all. It made me think of the story of the prodigal son. There's the son that just without God completely said, he came to his father and he said, give me all my money. I want your stuff. I don't want your rules. I'm tired of living in this house. Got all the money from his dad. I mean, imagine how hard that was to go to your dad and say, I want the inheritance I'm supposed to get when you die. I want it now because I don't like the way you run the house. That's what the prodigal did. He so says he went out, spending all, he went to Las Vegas, and just blew it on cocaine and all this other stuff. I'm just kidding. I don't want to say the other word. And, uh, and, then, and then he comes back. So this is the first person on the... This is the person without the rules of God. This is the person that just... Let, let's just party. If God's not real, let's just throw a big party. You're like, like why? Just, let's just live. Whatever feels good, do it. Let's do it. That was that son. Well, he comes back after he runs out of money thinking that dad was going to be mad at him and he was after going to just like, you know, work for his dad. Well, his dad's waiting on him. It's insane. But then there's the other brother. Have you heard about the older brother? That's who's on the stage now. That's the religious person. That's the person that is trusting in their own goodness for God's favor. The older brother, when the prodigal came home, got mad. So what is he doing here? I know what he does. I know what he's like. I know the things he's done. He's not deserving to even be here. So the older brother, he got nasty, he got mean. And here's the, the reality of it. The prodigal son was lost in the world. The older brother was lost sitting right in the church house, teaching Sunday school, memorized the Bible, knows the Roman road of salvation. Could tell you exactly what John 3.16 says. I mean, he memorized it when he was a kid. Went to church every week. Sunday night, he was there. Wednesday, he was there. And Paul is saying that person, if they're trusting in their works, their goodness, their own good stuff that they've done, they're just as lost as the prodigal. Guilty. And so what do we do? if everybody's guilty. You know, I used to think guilt was a bad thing. I don't know if it is. I think guilt means there's a better version of you trying to come out. You know, we have a a society that says, well, guilt's bad. Don't put guilt on people. No, if you feel guilty, that means God's got a better person in you that he's wanting to bring out, right? It's this metamorphosis. It's this caterpillar to a butterfly thing. It's not gonna feel good. There's gonna be some stuff that you gotta change and take off. Guilt, shame is bad, but guilt is not always a bad thing. Guilt means there's a path forward here. I'm guilty, I did it. I was trusting in my, I thought because I came to church and gave my tithes and did all this stuff that I was gonna, that I was a good person. He's like, no. <laughs> well, I had all these excuses. I, was, I didn't grow up in church. My mom and dad didn't pray with me. I, I mean, I have all these great excuses. God says, no, you're guilty. And this is the good news of the gospel. The book of Romans is about God. It's about the gospel of God. And what is the gospel of God? It's that, we, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans three. It puts us all on the same playing field. We all start at the same point. Everybody's guilty. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter how much you went to church or didn't go to church. Doesn't matter what, you know, what you've done up to this point. Paul writes such a compelling case here. He's saying we're all guilty. And if we're trusting in works, we're just as lost as the person that's just running as hard as they can away from God. And then here's where I think the rubber hits the road and we're gonna close. What what I love about the story of the prodigal and what I love about this story in Romans where all of humanity is basically guilty, God doesn't end it there. In the story of the prodigal son, maybe I've never noticed this until this morning actually. God's answer to both of his sons, the one that was kind of acting crazy, and then the one that thought he was, just had his life together and didn't need him anymore, he went to both of them. It says when the prodigal son was running through the field that his dad lifted up back then, I guess they wore like these robes, and he ran out to meet his son. He, he welcomed him with his presence. And then you got the older brother who thought was mad and upset and and, and, you know, I've kept the law my whole life, dad, what are you doing? I'm, I'm righteous, look at me. Even that brother, I have a harder time with that brother, says that he went out and he pleaded with him, got right up in his, just got close, his presence. And so if the wrath of God is the absence of God, I think the mercy of God is the presence of God. And it's available to you right now. It's available to every person that's on the planet at this moment, that, that the presence of God is here and near. That's the gospel, it's, it's, it's Emmanuel, it's God with us. In our good times and our bad times, when we're doing good and everybody loves us and we hit the home run and we got the MVP ball and when we strike out and we're embarrassed to even walk with a car. The highs and the lows. God's in them. And what the, the, the book of Romans reminds us is that God uses the highs and the lows, that all things work together. And my job is not to be good. My job is to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Every day It's to put my faith in the cross. That's my job. It's to put my faith, I, I, believe, I, believe I, I believe this stuff, but you, we got to step from belief to faith. Where we're acting on it, and we're trusting, and we're applying it to whatever you're facing in your life right now. I am guilty, and I know that. If the judge was to hit the gra- the, the gavel, I'd be going to prison. But I've got one person's name that I, that I want to use, and that's good news. Especially if you've made a lot of mistakes like me. Especially if, if you find it hard sometimes to, to, to live up to, there, there's, some, there's some rules in here. It's faith in the finished work of the cross. That's what gets us to God. That's what keeps us in God. That's how we grow spiritually. I believe that's, that's how God heals our bodies. That's how God changes our lives. It's we believe in a God who's there and present and we trust in him. Trust in him. So bow, bow your head with me this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for mercy today. We thank you for mercy. We thank you that you didn't give us what we deserved, but you gave us what we needed. And it was a savior. It was healing. It was presence. It was you. And I just pray right now in this moment that you would speak to your children. Speak to the person who's been walking around with so much shame. They feel guilty and heavy and weighted by maybe some decisions they made in the past. I just pray, God, even right now in this moment that you would just lift those heavy burdens. Lord, that you would lift that burden of sin, that you would, Lord, that that, that even in this moment that you would give forgiveness, that we could forgive ourselves, forgive what happened to us, forgive what we did and some of our decisions. Lord, we thank you that you're present. You're with us. And so, Lord, today we, we trust you we're gonna renew that commitment right now this morning where we trust you. We believe in the Bible. We believe that you lived and died. But this morning, I wanna challenge you that, that you act on that belief, that, that faith. You step out. You step out. And so Lord, we just thank you so much. Let me give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen.